Come on, everybody that's watching online today, we're so glad that you're with us as well. Um, Today, we are continuing our series, What Do You Believe?, Uh, a series that we actually started back in February, and then uh, in March, uh, everything broke loose, and so we've kind of been going from series to series throughout the last few months, and last week, we engaged back into What Do You Believe?, come on, last week was a big old recap, come on, did y'all feel like it was like a fire hydrant coming at you, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, just me. Maybe it was just because I was teaching it. It was just a lot of information, a lot of stuff going on. But, uh, but today we are going to be kind of leaning into what do you believe about Jesus. And so if you've got the YouVersion app on your phone, you can go to open it up and go down to more and then events. And you can actually follow along with all of the notes that we're going to be uh, going through today. But before we get into that, I wanted to say a couple of things. Number one, next week we are going to uh, be having our first in-person Next Steps class since February, I think. And so, uh, so we're excited about that. In case you're wondering what that is, well, if you look on the screen behind me, you can see number one, who we are, number two, what we're doing, and number three, how you could be a part. That is what the Next Steps class is all about, to help you know who we are as a church, what we're doing, and how you could be a part here at Northwood Church. And so, uh, so I'm going to be teaching that class here, right on the other side of this wall, next week, immediately following this service. And so, uh, so if your kids are here, and our kids' ministry, which is open today, come on, zero through four years old, that's exciting, very exciting. Um, but uh, they, they will, you know, continue to be able to take care of your kids if they're here. Um, but other than that, you'll join us in there for about 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, again, I just want to share my heart about the church and what we're doing. And now you can be a part. So, so put it in your calendar, all right, with all, your, all of your busy things going on next week. About, I don't know, 11, 11 o'clock, 11.15. We'll, uh, we'll be going through the Next Steps class. And so, so the next thing is this, is uh, in case you don't know, we are opening up our fourth location this coming January. We're beginning weekly services, all right? And so with that, yesterday, we actually had a, a, a kind of like a, a block party uh, in Ocean Springs, our whole entire Ocean Springs long. Yeah, yeah, come on. Our launch team was out there and... So we were out there yesterday, and uh, depending on which part of, you know, whether the the cloud had just passed over or not, depended on whether it felt like it was 115 or whether it felt like a nice, cool 100. Uh, But but either way, man, we had a great time out there. Pastor Stephen DeFazio, he's our location pastor. Actually, today, Pastor Stephen's up in Wiggins, uh, teaching today in Wiggins. And so, but uh, but our whole team was out there yesterday. We gave away a bunch of free barbecue and had a lot of conversations with with people to kind of let them know what's going on and what's coming to Ocean Springs. And so we're excited about that. Um, Tonight's actually a launch party or a... um, a, a launch uh, meeting. There we go. I knew party was not the right word, but um, but to share more of the heart. Do what? It is a party. It is a party? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> meeting must sound too official. You know, it's true. If you just make it a party, it just sounds more fun. Like today, we're having a church party. Like, boom. It's not a service. It's a party. That's what we're going to start doing. What, what time service start? We don't have services. We have parties. Okay? Party starts at 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, just kind of went with that. Um, but we are really looking forward to it. Uh, we know that God's going to do a lot of great things through, uh, in Ocean Springs through, through Northwood Churches. We're excited about that. But today, kind of engaged into this message, I, I just want to share something really quick before I actually get into the message. And I, I want to share a little bit of the why behind what we're doing uh, with this series and, and really what we're doing as a whole as a church 
You know, our mission statement is that we exist to help people know God. We exist to help people know God. And the word know is a multifaceted word. There's different layers and levels to it. And so whenever we talk about helping people know God, um, there's two different ways you can look at it. One is that we want to help people know God intellectually, informationally, like understanding logically who God is, why that that we believe in him, what the word of God says about it. And at the same time, there's also this experiential knowing of God. And the way that I want you to understand it or think about it is just like you would with with a person. Um, some of us in this room today, we have a lot of acquaintances around us, a lot of people that we, we know, but like, we don't know, like you don't even have their number. You know what I'm saying? If you want to go hang out, you know, next Friday night, you're like, that's not a person that you're going to call. So you kind of know about them, but then you've got those people that are close to you. Like you actually understand the way that they think, you understand who they are, their character, and that's a person that you know. And so we know, like I know a lot of people and I know about a whole lot of people. I have acquaintances and then I also have those people that like we're friends on social media, but I don't really know them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I actually talked to somebody yesterday and I I haven't talked to this person, I don't know, maybe eight years. And uh, what it is, is I was like, but, but... I, where, where do I know you from? And uh, or, or where have I been seeing? Oh, we're, we're Facebook friends. That's what it is. So we've been liking, you know, so we feel like there's some sort of connection. I don't know this person, not really. They don't know me. And so what we're talking about whenever we want to help people know God is we want to help people like understand God, okay, to, to the best of our ability, but also not just understand in this, this weird, just intellectual way, but also in a relational, experiential way, okay? Y'all, does that make sense? So whenever we say that, whenever we gather together, uh, my goal, especially in a series like this, is that, that there's a whole lot of people who, who they kind of lack the, the theological understanding of knowing God, and some people have, have been raised up in this, maybe it's just religion, or maybe it's just in this, this experiential sense, but there's no grounding in their faith. And so it's not throwing one out with the other. That might be me. We'll see. Um, it's, it's not throwing out intellect in order to just have experience or throwing experience out just to have intellectual understanding of who God is. Does that make sense? It's both and. And, and here at Northwood Church, you're going to see that a lot. There's a lot of both ands. We're not an either or church. There's a whole lot of things that there's intention. That's where the, that's where the middle ground is. And that's where there's actually a good, a good foundation to be. And so that's, that's really the heart of this series. And so with that, let's jump into uh, to what do you believe about Jesus? This is actually really week number two when it comes to this conversation about Jesus. And man, can you bring my mic down just a little bit? I feel like I'm yelling at you guys. Does it feel like I'm yelling at you guys? Yes, yes. All right. So what do you believe about Jesus? And uh, Jesus claimed to be a lot of things, claimed to be a lot of things. And all of the things that Jesus claimed to be are integral to our belief, our belief in him, our, our, our faith in him. It's integral. We can't, we can't say, oh, I like the one thing that Jesus said here, but I don't really like this. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this to the side for a later date. No, no, no. It's all or nothing with Jesus, right? And so Jesus claimed to be a lot of things. Last week, we ended by talking about Jesus' claim of being God, claimed about being God. And today, we're going to talk about a different aspect or a different claim that Jesus made. But Jesus, who is 100% God, became 100% man. Now, for all my mathematicians, 
200% doesn't make any sense, right? It's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But that's exactly right. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Now, this is extremely important to our faith for a few different reasons, and, and I'm going to try to tackle this really quick to where we can continue to move through. But I wanted to use a, a quote from William Lane Craig, and he said this, the Christian religion stands or falls with the person of Jesus Christ. Judaism could survive without Moses, Buddhism without Buddha, Islam without Muhammad, but Christianity could not survive without Christ. This is because unlike most other world religions, Christianity is belief in a person, a genuine historical individual, but at the same time, a special individual whom the church regards as not only deity, but also human. Okay, Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, with, which that word is, is, it speaks of how he willingly relinquished his rightful place of equality with God. Jesus was not a created thing from God. He is God. Okay, he didn't come along at a later date. He is God in essence and in nature. But verse seven, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I'm going to go ahead and change up mics. Okay. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God incarnate. Okay. That's who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. So if Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, then the claims of Christ are undone. But why? Why is this so important? I think a lot of times in church, we sort of say statements that we know are truth, right? But we don't really understand why. So, so why did Jesus have to become a man? Well, here's the, the summary of the answer. Because the Messiah had to be a true man because the justice of God requires the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. The Messiah must also be a righteous man uh, a person with no sin, okay? Because a sinner cannot pay for other sinners. It's sort of like if a person's on trial for murder and they get found guilty and then another murderer walks up and says, oh, I'll take, I'll take his punishment. Hold on. You have, you have committed a crime too. So you can't take on his punishment. No, 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 no. Like, like you have your own punishment. There had to be a pure sacrifice, a pure person, a righteous person to be able to take upon themselves the, the, the punishment for sin in order to pay that price. And so I just said a word though, the Messiah. And for some of you, you're like, what is the Messiah? What, what is that word? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's actually, that's actually what we're gonna talk about today is how Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Now, the Jews were expecting the coming of the Messiah. The prophets had spoken about this, this anointed one, this Messiah that would come. And so they had their eyes peeled for this one who would come. Uh, so the word uh, uh, Messiah in Hebrew is Mashiach, right? You got to dig deep right here for that. And uh, in Greek, it's Christos, which is the anointed. And it's used 569 times in the New Testament to describe Jesus. Uh, 
Uh, now, anointing, okay, just kind of get through some of these things. Anointing is, is whenever someone is, uh, whenever oil is applied to them. Uh, you think back in the uh, in Exodus with the priests, how they would be anointed for ministry. Um, you've got kings who would be uh, anointed, and they were anointed for, for leadership and authority, okay? So you had this, this, uh, this concept of people being anointed to do ministry, and there was this one coming who was the anointed one. Like the, the, the main, the anointed one, the Messiah, and their eyes, again, were peeled for this person. And so Jesus comes and he claims to be this one, this Messiah, okay? I want to give you a couple of examples of what it looked like when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the anointed one. John 4, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. Now, just so you know, uh, there were Jews and there were Gentiles, still are, there's Jews and Gentiles, and the Samaritan woman is a Gentile, and here's the deal. It was not okay for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan. But Jesus, like he usually did, kind of went against the grain, just, just a tad, okay? He kind of went against the grain. And so he, here he is talking to the Samaritan woman, and it says this. Uh, she said, um, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all the things, all the things that we need to know. He's going to tell us all of these things. And then Jesus said to her, I am who speak to you. I who speak to you am he. Like, yeah, that person that you're looking to, <laughs> right? There's this moment. And, and then some other things take place that, that really prove that he knew what he was talking about. And, uh, but then that, that's to the Gentiles. But then what about the Jews? Well, then Luke 4, Jesus is just starting his ministry and he comes to Nazareth. And, and this is what it says in verse 16 of chapter four. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are, are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he says this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus walks up into the synagogue, reads out of Isaiah, sits there, looks at him and says, that's me. I am fulfilling this. And the ripple effect of these words, like this is a big deal. Okay, thousands of years they've been looking forward to these things. Hundreds of years since some of these prophecies has been spoken and Jesus comes and says, you're looking at him. This is earth shattering. The, the tectonic plates of the Jewish community are shifting because of the claims of Jesus. This wasn't something that you could just, you know, show up at Chili's and just casually talk about. This was, this was a big deal, okay? He claimed to be the Messiah. But as you can imagine, a lot of people struggled 
to know and believe that he was the anointed one. And I think sometimes in our day and age, we, we look at the word, we, we read the word of God, and we just assume that those people who didn't believe in Jesus, like how could they not believe? But I like to put myself in those situations and think, what would I do? How would I respond? Because I don't know, we're, we're extremely skeptical in our nation, you know, in our world today. And rightfully so in some places. Like, I, I think there's a lot of people who claim to be the Messiah back then and still do today, okay? I am the Messiah. And uh, it's laughable. But how did they know that Jesus was actually the Messiah? Like, what was, what was the thing that they could reach out and hold on to and say, this was he? Even those that were closest to Jesus had, had, had a a struggle believing if Jesus was really the Messiah, one of which was John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew Jesus his whole life. They grew up together. And, uh, and you can go read about the story of John the Baptist and, and kind of the, the entrance to his ministry. And, but, but he actually baptizes Jesus. He knew Jesus very closely. And so here you have someone that's grown up with Jesus, actually has prophesied that, that he is the Messiah. He is the one who's coming that, that he didn't even, he wasn't even worry, worry, uh, worthy to tie his sandals, right? Like this is John the Baptist. And what we find later on is here in, in these scriptures, we're going to read out of Luke here in a second, Luke 7, that John has been put in prison because John liked to talk a lot. All right. He was a prophet and he talked a lot and he said something about Herod, had a little something, something to say. He gets arrested and now he's in prison and he knows that it's probably not going to end well. And so he has a lot of time to think and he's sitting there and he begins to wonder is Jesus really the Messiah? There's some doubt there. And so what he does is he tells his disciples to go to Jesus and, and ask them, you know, hey, hey, is he really the one? And this is how Jesus responds. He answered him, said, go and tell John what you, see, what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Now, that's kind of a weird response. Why did Jesus say these things? Well, he said these things because these were indicators that the Messiah was here. These were indicators. These were prophecies that were being fulfilled. And Jesus is like, you don't just have to take my word for it. Take, look, like, look at what's happening. And this is what he said. Go ahead and put it that next slide. These are the fulfilled prophecies that the Messiah was here. The blind see, lame walk, lepers cleanse, deaf hear, the dead are raised, the gospel is preached to the poor, and here are the, the references to those. And so maybe you want to go back and actually read those. You can take a picture or, or look in your notes again and, and see those references. So Jesus said a mouthful whenever he responded to John. He's like, I am doing all of these things. And he's basically saying, hey, man, yes. I am he, I am the Messiah. So here's the next question. Well, what were the expectations of the Messiah? And this is where the rubber starts meeting the road, especially as how it applies to us. Because the expectations of the Messiah were to liberate them from political oppression, to overthrow Rome, to be the king of the Jews, to establish this earthly kingdom. These were the, this was the mindset of the people at the time. They were expecting this one to come. I mean, we just read the other verses a second ago about what Jesus just said, man, to, to deliver, to liberate people. Like that's, that was the heart, that was the longing. And so here's the Messiah. So they had these expectations, but why did they expect these things? In order to answer this question, we've got to have a general understand, understanding of the society at the time. 
And I think this is so powerful because sometimes we read stories and we don't have a lot of context around what was going on in the time. So therefore we project what's going on in our life into the story instead of really understanding what was going on in that time. And so just wanna give you a few points to consider whenever we kind of begin to break this open. The Israelites had been under oppression for thousands of years, right? If you read the word of God, if you read the Old Testament, you know that the, the Israelites, I mean, you had the Egyptians, the Babylonians, Persians, you had all of these people. And now whenever Jesus is born in this time, they're underneath Roman rule. They're being oppressed. They're being controlled. So what was it like to be under the oppression of the Roman Empire? Well, I want to read this to you. Jerusalem was besieged in 63 BC, and in the coming decades, thousands were imprisoned, tortured, and crucified before Jesus was born or started preaching. More Jews died by the sword. Many thousands were sold into slavery. The fittest became gladiators, and they fought in arenas throughout the empire. So bottom line is that it was not a good thing to be a Jew in this time underneath Roman rule. Whenever they took over, they came in, and it was violent. So here they are a generation later and they're still under this oppression. They were allowed to, to sort of operate in, in, in their community to a certain extent, but it was more complicated than that. Okay, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? Which is, but he grew up in Nazareth and Nazareth was in Galilee, which was under the rule of Antipas, okay? And so he's the son of Herod the Great, who was the Tetrarch in the Roman Empire underneath the Emperor Caesar Augustus. And so you had like this hierarchy of, of leadership, okay? It wasn't just the emperor and everybody else. There was, there was levels of leadership. So, but you had the Jewish people who were under Roman rule, but are led by a high priest. And so you had the high priest Annas, whenever Jesus was born, who then becomes Caiaphas, which if you guys know the story of Jesus and his, his crucifixion, and that's where you see Caiaphas really a lot in, in that story. And he's dealing with Pontius Pilate. Well, Caiaphas had a certain amount of, of you know, influence with the Jewish people, the day-to-day -day things that would go on, but he really answered to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, his responsibility was to keep the peace. So for instance, whenever the, uh, the, the, all of the, the Jews would gather together for the Passover and, or the other festivals, they, uh, Pontius Pilate would come with his 3,000 you know, soldiers and they would be there just to make sure that nobody got out of line, right? that everybody stayed put. And so there was this, there was this over, like, cloud of oppression above them at all times. There was not like true freedom. Okay, they, they could, as long as they stayed you know, in bounds, everything was cool. And so Jesus is born to this time. And uh, Caiaphas, by the way, just a couple more things. Caiaphas had a council called the Sanhedrin, which again, when you're reading the word of God, you see Sanhedrin, that's a council of people who, uh, who helped the high priest kind of lead the day to day. But the Jews' expectations of the Messiah was that he would come and be a conquering king and establish a worldly kingdom, of course. And you can see why. I think whenever we know these things, we can understand why the Jews felt such, um, they had such hope about who this person would be. But it wasn't a good time. It wasn't a good time. So did Jesus meet their expectations? No. He did not. See, the prophecy at that time, the prophecies of the Messiah had kind of become politicized. It had kind of become this, this thing of the hope to overthrow 
the hope to establish this worldly kingdom and that what we wanna see on this earth, we wanna see that change to reflect heaven. And, and I think that that's our heart even today. I think that's our heart. But, but when we look back at Luke 4, Jesus wasn't talking about a worldly kingdom. Whenever he talks about the blind seeing, he was really, more importantly, talking about spiritual blind eyes being opened. He was talking about those who are oppressed by sin being liberated. That was, that was the message. Whenever you, you go back in, in the New Testament, you look at the, the things that are talked about about the Old Testament, it's spiritually, it's being spoken about from a spiritual lens. That is the hope. That's the ultimate hope. So the, the other interesting point about this is that you have the Jews who are wanting a king in the same way that they wanted a king going back into the Old Testament whenever Saul became king. You see, here's the, here's the truth of the matter is that God was always supposed to be the king of the Jews, there actually wasn't supposed to be a king, but the Jews wanted to be like every other nation. Go read the story. And so God's like, all right, okay. And so they got Saul. And then they got all the kings that came after that. All of the corruption, all of the judgment, all of those things stem back to this improper understanding of who God was supposed to be to them. But here it is, the king of the Jews comes, the Messiah comes, and now they reject him. Because again, he's not fitting the bill. He's not exactly who they want him to be. They wanted a physical kingdom right then and right there. So that was their expectation. Their expectation was that the Messiah would dismantle the current system and honestly that he would lead a revolution. And Jesus comes to lead a spiritual revolution, not a physical one, not a political one. We know that because we read the word of God and that's not what happened. So like if Jesus led a, a political revolution, the church would look completely different right now. Us right now, we would look at different situations in our world from a completely different lens. But Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. Peter took out a sword and chopped off a guy's ear. Come on, can you imagine? Jesus is about to get arrested and Peter's like, this is the moment. This is it. I've been waiting to establish this kingdom alongside this Messiah. And he pulls out and he thinks that this is the battle. And he cuts off an ear. Jesus reaches down, puts the guy's ear back on and says, Peter, that's not what I'm here to do. Do you know how frustrating that must have been? How disappointing? Come on, I know a lot of guys who are just like, you know, you're, you're bowed up, like you're ready. I mean, today, like, you know, don't tell anybody, but we've got a security team, right? And so uh, I'm a part of that security team. <laughs> anyway, but um, <laughs> I'm not. Um, but, but you know what? At times it's like, you know, you're, you're in protection mode. You're like, I wish somebody would do something. Like, do something. Like, so I can, you know. And I think at that moment, Peter was like, yeah, do something. Oh, now, here it, can you imagine what the disciples' conversations were behind the scenes when Jesus wasn't there? Do you, you know, tell you what, man, if that Caiaphas shows up, you know what I'm gonna say? You know what I'm gonna say to Caiaphas? <laughs> Nothing, because <laughs> I don't know what to say. Jesus, what would you say? 
And Jesus didn't say much. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. When they put King of the Jews above the cross, mocking him. Can you imagine the disappointment in those disciples who actually showed up? The fear that overtook them because they, they at that moment, they realized that the revolution wasn't happening the way that they thought it would. And here they are exposed. They're on the wrong side. They're on the wrong team. The fear that they felt. Jesus destroyed their hope because their hope was in the wrong type of Messiah. Improper expectations of the Messiah lead to disappointment. And it still happens today. It still happens today. Hey guys, listen. There's a whole lot of people saying a whole lot of things about what G who Jesus is and what he came to do and how that's supposed to affect us today. But I think it's important that we continue to center our attention on the fact that Jesus ultimately came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came to do. And the works of the devil look different in different ways, but it's the same works of the devil to kill, steal, and destroy, to divide and conquer. And as long as we're on this earth, we are going to deal in this. This is a battle that we're going to be in. And I don't know if a lot of people understand that. And I think we get reminded of it on Sunday morning. And by the time we get home and we start looking at social media, we forget that. And then we begin to fight a physical war again. It's a it's war of philosophies and words, but it's a war. And as the church, we have got to, let's just not be Peter, y'all. Let's not be Peter. Are y'all with me on that? Do y'all understand? The war that we're facing is not a political war. In our nation, the war that we're facing is not a political war. Okay? Much deeper than that, much deeper than that. But the world is fighting a political war, very much so. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be informed and be a part and, and, and bring change where there needs to be change and all of these things. But I am saying that we shouldn't do it at the expense of the gospel. We shouldn't do it at the expense of our testimony. And, and can I say one thing? It doesn't matter who gets elected in November. It really doesn't matter. Okay? So get off of it. I'm telling you. Vote, yes. Be a part of the conversation, yes. But I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I, I am, nationally speaking, the church has got to unite around the person and the work of Jesus Christ, not the person and the work of a president. I'm telling you. I'm speaking to the church, all right? So if this is your first time here, I don't usually rant and rave. However, it's just really, it's heartbreaking. The church is divided on whether to wear a mask or not. Like, just a second, can I just, can I just, just a little bit, just talk? No, don't do it. <laughs> like, it's so confusing how as Christians, 
reading the book that we read, the, 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 the intensity of it, the, the magnitude of it, how we can walk away from reading that book and actually truly get, I'm not talking about a little frustrated. I'm talking about willing to go to war about things that just don't matter. A mask. It's just sad. Now, I have opinions about it, right? Like, I, I wear a mask when I go to the store. I wear, I do, right? I'm not gonna wear a mask when I preach. Unless you wanna hear me talk like this the whole time. I'm just saying, like, guys, it's okay to disagree with somebody and you don't have to hate them, okay? And you know, the other thing is, is that whenever you begin to talk about anything having to do with politics or what's going on in society, a lot of you right now, you're, you're thinking, which side are you on? Which, which side? I think about in Joshua, uh, whenever that moment happens and Joshua says, sees the angel of the Lord and the angel comes and, and, and he says, whose side are you on? Are you on ours or theirs? And basically he says, neither. Because before you're a Republican or Democrat, before you're a, a COVID is a hoax believer or COVID's real, before any of these things, you're a Christian. At least I would hope that. I would hope that you identify as a Christian before you do a Republican or a Democrat. I would hope that that's, that's of higher importance in your life. And the reason I'm saying this is because the closer that we get to election, the closer that we get, it's just going to get more intense. It's gonna get more intense, y'all. And I know that you know that, but I just think every now and then we kind of just need to be, we need to be checked, right? Like we need to get, we need to get checked, I think the word of God does that, but I also think whenever we, looked at who, we look at who Jesus is as the Messiah, I think this checks us. It checks our reality. It checks our expectations. And I think the question is just, where's your hope? Where's your hope at? Where's your hope lie? What's some other improper expectations? What do they lead to? Well, here's a couple of examples. An improper expectation of the Messiah is that we'll have everything that we want here on earth, right? It's prosperity gospel. We'll have everything that we want here on earth. Another is that there's sinless perfection here on earth. And you're gonna be perfect. Like, now that I have Jesus, all is well, right? I don't struggle. There's not suffering. There's none of these things. That's not right now. Another, another error is a utopian society here on earth. A utopian society. Like if you think that we're going to have a utopian society with broken human beings who are broken by sin, man, you guess, uh, you're, you're going to live a life of disappointment over and over again. We're broken in sin, right? That's why we need Jesus. We need a Messiah. Jesus came to defeat sin and spiritual death and establish the kingdom of God. It's not to say that we won't see the kingdom of God to a certain extent in this physical life because I believe that we do. We believe in healing. We believe that God's power is, is evident in our lives. We believe that in our lives, we see God work in, in, in crazy ways. Many of you have, have stories and experiences about what God has done in your life. Some of you, he restored relationships that were completely destroyed 
Some of you, he restored your body. He's restored your soul. Come on, God expresses himself in our lives in many different ways. The kingdom of God is here to a certain extent, but there's this tension of the already kingdom, but the not yet kingdom. It's a tension. And that's why some people struggle with seeing suffering in the world. And they're like, well, if God's over all of this, then why doesn't he? And, and it's, an, it's an over-realization of where we're at in the timeline of things. So do we pray for healing? Do we pray for miracles? Absolutely. We believe in those things. But if it doesn't happen, our hope is not dashed, okay? God is still on the throne, if our nation falls into large amounts of immorality more than it is already, if it gets worse, guess what? Our hope is not dashed because our hope is in something more than a political system. Do you see, you see the angle that we're coming at this on? Do I want our nation to be good? Absolutely. All of us do. It's just at the end of the day, it's not the main thing. But this was God's plan from the beginning. And I I think this is important to say. In Genesis 3, God is speaking to the serpent. And this is really the first mention of the gospel. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God speaking to the serpent after Adam and Eve have fallen. And he's he's giving a a prophecy, basically, of, of something that's to come. And this is Jesus So how did this play out? Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's where he was bruised. Jesus was bruised. But then in 1 Corinthians 15, but thank God, because he gives us victory. Jesus gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, y'all. This is our hope. But from the beginning, God knew what was gonna happen. I take great comfort in knowing that if God knew in the beginning of our time what would take place, that he knows what's going on right now and it is in his will and it's under his control. So I I take great comfort in that. My faith is, is increased in that, not decreased. I hope it's the same for you. But the Messiah came to restore everything that has been destroyed by sin. And Jesus is the Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah. He proved he was the Messiah while he was on this earth. And he proved he was the Messiah by overcoming sin and death, by coming back to life. He was resurrected. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Jesus didn't just claim to be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. So the last question I want to ask is this. Does Jesus meet your expectation? Does, does he, the, the, the Messiah that I just described, the, the, the things that Jesus did, are those things enough for you? Is the truth of the word of God enough? What are your expectations? Jesus came to bring healing and hope and restoration. And it doesn't mean that everything in this life is gonna be perfect, but it does mean at the end of our lives, all things work to good 
for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. So if you're in this place today, if you're watching online and you realize that like maybe you've had some misconceptions about who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he's come to do in your life, Right now, I want us all to, to allow the Holy Spirit, to allow God to search our hearts and to expose any of the errors that maybe we've fallen into. Maybe you've prayed prayers like, God, if you would do this, then, then, then I'll do this. God, if, if you would do that, then, then I'll surrender my life to you. And maybe it didn't work out. And so at that point, you said, man, it's not real. That's a... That's a it's a disappointment based out of an improper view of what Jesus came to do. So right now, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just ask God, say, Lord, would you just expose my improper thoughts? Would you expose my improper expectations? God, we are your people. We're called according to your purposes. But God, there's so many things going on in our life, so many things going on in this world that seek to define to us who you are. But God, we wanna know who you are based upon who you say that you are. So God, where we fall into error, where maybe we're leaning a little bit too far in one direction or the other, God, we pray that you would realign us with you Come on, guys, I'm praying this prayer, not just for you. I'm praying this prayer for me. I need Jesus just as much now as I did whenever I first began to walk with him. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth. So God, we are open for you to deal with this. God, you said that the Holy Spirit will, will guide us into all truth. And so Father, right now, we open up our hearts to you to receive that. If you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online and you don't have a relationship with God, you have a religious mindset, you know exactly what you're supposed to do and not do, but there's not like this relationship. You don't feel like you actually know God. You have this intellectual approach, but it's not this experiential, heartfelt relationship. Today is a day that you could start this relationship with him. It's very simple. Sin has broken everything. Jesus came to be the sacrifice, to take on the punishment for that sin, to pay that price, to restore what is broken, to give us a way out of the wreckage. And it's through the cross, it's through believing in the cross, believing in the resurrection of Jesus. God loves you, God is for you. His will is that you do not perish, that you do not go to a place called hell, but that you spend eternity with him. That's his will for your life. But it begins with surrender. If you've been trying to, to earn the grace of God and earn the love of God, today I have good news for you. You can put that to the side because none of us can earn God. None of us can earn his love. He freely gives his love. He, he is love. He freely gives his grace and his mercy and the free gift of salvation. So right now, if that's you, just say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. 
I pray that you would forgive me of my sin, that you would heal the brokenness in me, that God, you would fill me with your power, with your perspective to live a life that honors and glorifies you. I believe in Jesus and I thank you for washing me clean, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. What do you believe about Jesus? Who do you claim Jesus is? And, and how do you read the word of God? I hope that today maybe kind of put a new wrinkle in, a new, a new lens over your eyes to be able to see possibly what Jesus really came to do. And I know a lot of the things that we're talking about right now, everything that we say, especially when it comes to the things that are going on in our world, everything is so charged. But I wanna implore you, encourage you, and ask you to, to, to continue to seek God in the way that we live our lives as the body of Christ. To know that God is working through the next few months as we prepare and we're already in election season, as we're preparing and we're engaging and we're looking to November, guys, look, even after, guys, it's gonna be so easy to say, God, where are you? Look around, what's going on? I wanna encourage you, and we're about to sing it, that even whenever we don't see it, God is working. He's working. And I wanna encourage you to trust in Him. Amen? Come on, I wanna pray one last time, and then we're gonna sing. God, we surrender our thoughts. We surrender our lives. God, we surrender our opinions to you. God, if they are wrong, would you reveal it to us? God, we know that we do not have it all figured out. We don't claim to be. God, we know that you are all knowing. You are all powerful. And so God, we're gonna have our opinions, but Jesus, we submit them to you right now. God, we are gonna have our feelings, but we submit them to you right now. Because ultimately, Father, we wanna be aligned with you, not with, a, not with a, a human being here on the earth with all of their thoughts and opinions, not with a news outlet. God, we wanna be aligned with you. And so Father, right now we ask that you would give us your eyes to see, give us your ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in this time. We are all in with you, Jesus, and we trust you because we know that you are working. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing this together. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop.
Jesus a shout of praise? Come on, lift him up. Man, it's been a good morning, hasn't it? Hey guys, in case you don't know me, my name is Tom. I'm the assistant pastor here at the Gulfport campus. And, uh, you know, I just want to say a, a couple things to a couple special groups that are here in the room this morning. First of all, I don't know if any of you noticed, but um, there were some people that were practically skipping their way into the church service this morning. And it was like the parents of zero to four-year-olds. Come on, if that's you, raise your hand. Come on, it's been awesome. <laughs> I know there's parents who haven't been here in the room in like six months because they got little kiddos and I mean, it's great to have you back in the house and it's been awesome. So, and thank you so much to our NC Kids workers. Give it a hand for them. So good stuff, good stuff. I also want to speak to uh, those of you who may be new with us this morning. Maybe you're just watching online. This is your first time joining us. Uh, welcome. We love our first time guests. And hey, what I want to do is I want to connect with you. I want to make sure that if you have any questions about uh, what we do here at Northwood, what we're all about, uh, that you can get those into myself. I want to reach out to you this week. The best way to do that, there's a card right in the seat pocket in front of you. It's our next steps card. Just fill that out really quick. And there's some friendly folks right in the back here. There's a blue banner with some lights on. They want to take those cards from you, say hey, see if you have any questions about the church. And like I said, I'm going to reach out to you uh, this week. And also on the back of those cards, we also have a uh, area for prayer requests. So if there's anything that's going on in your life right now that you want our prayer team to lift up in prayer, be sure to fill that out and you can just drop that right back at our Next Steps area as well. Sound good? Hey guys, so everything that we do here at Northwood, it, it's, it's completely fueled by you through faithful prayers, faithful serving, and faithful giving. Everything that we do. So there's two ways to give. It's on the screen behind me, and, and, and I wanna remind you, if you're new here, this isn't for you. Um, it's for our Northwood family. Be faithful in that, guys. We're doing so many amazing things down here in South Mississippi and all around our nation and the world, okay? Um, and uh, last thing, tonight, Tonight is our impact night. The first Sunday of every month is our impact night. So if you have a seventh grader through 12th grader, um, they're part of, our, or we want them to be part of our impact student ministry. Tonight is tie-dye night, okay? It's gonna be great. And uh, Jessica, my wife, she was up late last night making a pretty awesome Ohio State Buckeyes themed tie-dye shirt, outfit, socks, hat, the whole get up. It's gonna be amazing for my son. He's trying not to make eye contact with you right now. He's like, no, don't talk about me, Dad. <laughs> but that's tonight at 5.30 at our Long Beach campus, all right? It's not gonna be here. It's gonna be at our Long Beach campus. So um, get your student out there to Long Beach campus at 5.30. If your student needs a ride, meet right here, right in the South parking lot at 4.45, and we'll have some of our small group leaders for impact uh, available to drive them over there. Sound good? All right, you guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you later.